Hello everybody, welcome along. How are you? It's a very interactive uh, session this, by the way. You're more than welcome to say hi and uh, welcome back. Uh, uh, hopefully you will get interactive with our guests as well. Um, we are starting our first Q&A here at the first Meanwhile Comic Con. Um, very strong indeed. Uh, can you please welcome our first guest of the day, Mick McMahon, uh, Mick McMahon and John Higgins, everybody. Come in, come in, come in, come in, come in, come in. Uh, quick introduction, my name is Leonard Sultana, I run a website called uh, An Englishman in San Diego and I talk about comic cons, uh, comic culture and comics. And um, I've been reading uh, comics uh, for a long time, uh, including all the way back with uh, some of the old original issues of Judge Dredd, uh, showing the age. But uh, it's been, it's a pleasure to talk to you two. But what I'd like to start with, actually, is before we actually get into Judge Dredd and the character of Dredd, is actually the kind of the landscape that he was created in, because um, there was recently a panel at um, Thought Bubble about 2000 AD, and I don't think it really kind of talked about those formative years, 1977, when the, uh, the magazine first uh, came out. And um, I don't know if anyone's read or seen the Future Shock documentary. Has anyone seen that? It's a cracking piece. <laughs> it's a cracking piece of work. But it talked about how there was a lot of uh, competition between the artists. Uh, was when it <laughs> you know, kind of like artist? Well, artists kind of like. Uh, you, you did a piece of work and they, oh, I've got to try and top oh, that. God, yeah, yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of uh, friendly competition. Yeah, definitely. Was that really the drive to creating uh, a character like Dread, or was there more pressures from people like IPC and the publishers? What was the atmosphere in the room when it came to uh, 2018? I, I don't know anything about that. To be no? <laughs> no, because I mean, I, I just, I was a freelance artist, so right. I just turned up to do the work and went out again. Yeah. I mean, it was about three months before I even knew that Pat Mills was the editor. <laughs> I, th I thought he was the assistant editor. So, so I, d I, d I don't really know, know anything about that. No? I think the, the nice thing about sort of like the, the documentary, the um, what's it called Future Shock, mm. um, the interesting thing about that is people delve into what's going on around. And if you get to like Pat Mills talking about stuff and then Mick talking about stuff and Brian and me and whatever, you start putting all the elements together. But because we're just one part of the jigsaw, in some ways you sometimes feel like a minor part. And one of the, the interesting things, certainly about work for um, IPC at that particular time, was like King's Reach Towers, a big massive um, block of sort of like so many different uh, magazines. I mean, we used to pop into different, um, if we went up to 2008D, we used to try and go into the um, other sections to get work, because we were both working freelance, yeah. so we'd go anywhere for work. The fact that we both were lucky enough to get to 2000 AD was one of the most exciting things that certainly ever happened to my career, so... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, um, from my point of view, it was just um, the, the sort of paranoia of self-employed artists. <laughs> you know, like, is, is this one going to be good enough? You know, it's, it's, yeah. that's, that's what goes through your mind, really. Well, I mean, I know that... Um, you know, you're not really thinking about the... the Bigger picture. No, it really was. It was. It was a job. It was something that need. It was something that you were assigned to, as it were. I mean, I know that um, when uh, it, the character was created, um, when yourself, Mick, was um, assigned to to Dread, was it purely because um, you could emulate uh, a square's style, or was there more? You, you saw something in the character itself that um, you you thought you could bring to. Well, I, I'd always been kind of sort of. 
I don't know, I suppose I'd, uh, I always thought I wanted to draw, um, I don't know, Marvel comics or something. And I've never really looked at English comics for a long time. I, I read them when I was growing up. Uh, but when, I, when they sent me the first Dread artwork, which was done by Carlos, uh, to, you know, to see if I could draw like that, um, I couldn't believe how great it was. I, th I thought this is, and that made me feel even worse because I thought, because what was I was 22, and uh, I've done a sample for them, um, which is what got me the work in the first place, which was absolutely nothing like that. Was it Pat that um, saw? Yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he saw it. Yeah, he gave me that work. So, um, but yeah, it was. They sent me this first script and said, "Can you draw it like this?" And if I, if I hadn't been able to do it, I, I would, they would have got someone else. But I, I was very lucky because I, I just managed to sort of copy it a bit. But uh, people do say that they can't tell the difference. But I mean, the difference is easy. <laughs> Carlos could draw and I couldn't. <laughs> oh, man. I don't think that's strictly true. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to um, argue against that one as well. Um, certainly when it came to Judge Dredd as a character he's indelibly linked with 2000 AD um, in terms of being the character Solane's second issue and that was second prog and his career, his um, legacy and career has um, evolved along with the, the magazine um, in terms of those that have approached uh, Judge Dredd um, which ones do you feel have touched more on that original concept um, when uh, when it first came out in '77, which ones do you see uh, in terms of more contemporary artists and writers that uh, really kind of touch on that original concept? Because uh, we're, we're getting into very much into long form stories now for for Dread, indeed. Uh, the first one, Cursed Earth. I think um, for me, it's like the way Dread's evolved. I mean, I think the nice thing is because Carlos started off in such a strong way and then Mick came on and then it's like Brian Bond to a certain extent when Mick and Brian got involved with Dread that's for me when he, the Dread became the Dread that I'm depicting now almost for me there's a deck, direct line between what Mick and uh, Brian I'm still try, try. I'm a huge fan of what I was seeing in the comics I was a comics fan when I first started reading 2008 and it's like Judge Dredd hit me immediately and seeing the stuff that Mick in particular and Brian Bond was doing really made me look at it in a different way. But I think in the early days it was more about science fiction stories rather than like Dredd being a fascist, uh, futuristic, you know, law dealing, you know, death dealing mm. lawgiver sort of thing. And I think it just <coughs> evolved over the years, hasn't it really, Mick? Uh, yeah, I mean, I looked at, because um, when, I mean, in my head, because I, I, drew, I drew a Dredd a couple of weeks ago, um, and I, the only reason I did it was I thought oh, I can make a lot of money selling the artwork <laughs> but it was a script that was only in two pictures so, so that, that hasn't worked out but um, in my head it's still exactly the same as it was the first ones I drew I was looking at um, a map of the world Dred's world and it's got how many mega cities are there? Are there <laughs> 200, 300? I don't know, you know but in my head there's still only one because even when, when I did the is it the Judge Child story when they went to Texas City? Yeah. I thought, well, what's, what's Texas City? What's, what's that about? You know, it's, it's, to me, that was diluting it already. Mm. So for, for me, what, what it is now is a, um, it's a completely different thing. Yeah. Nothing like it. And there was a question I was actually going to start with. Um, when you first drew Dread, um, 
and people can um, interpret the character in many different ways. Do you see him as a hero or a villain? I uh, I've always <laughs> thought of him as, as neither. He's uh, like a machine. That's he's just one he's... thing, he's just a yeah. He's not good or bad. Whatever decisions he makes is based on what the law dictates. And that's the, the sort of thing, to a certain extent, we all wish we, we could have someone who's completely utterly partial. And Dredd's totally and utterly impartial. Whether or not you agree with his decisions, mm. he is, should be completely and utterly impartial. And it's great when it's like of all the sort of like characters, all the judges that you have, and all the different storylines, and Dredd is still the, the one prime mm. linchpin around everything else that revolves all the other storylines. I think, um, yeah, he's not, neither good nor bad. I find the character interesting uh, when he is... Um, when, yeah, like you say, when he is that kind of stoic, um, individualistic... Uh, when there's no, not so much character to him, as it were. I mean, when I actually found, when I was reading the books, uh, that he had a first name, it kind of, it kind of diluted something. Uh, from yeah. the concept uh, to me, it's right up there with the take, you know, taking off the helmet in the Stallone film, which, that was it by the way, that's the only reference you're going to get to that for the rest of this panel. Um, Unless we talk about how much I earn for doing the poster for us, <laughs> which are a lot. Um, in terms of that, um, I kind of use the word evolution then, in terms of certainly the creative style of Judge Dredd. Do you feel that Judge Dredd works best when he doesn't evolve? When he is that kind of, it's almost when nothing changes about him, as it were. Does that make, yeah, so, does that make sense? Some of the stories I like the best um, were they're about citizens of the mega city and they get into some scrape and Dredd will turn up and either kill them or something. But he doesn't, he doesn't need to have any character. He, he's a, a force that hovers over everyone, and they should be just frightened all the time, really. But uh, the, in that way, they're, they're the stories I've always liked the best, because the, I've always want, wanted to know more about the people that actually live in the mix. Yeah. I think, I think that if anything has changed and evolved when it comes to Dread, it is the landscape that he's in, but mm -hmm. the character himself stays very much the same. When it came to... Because um, I actually uh, read Dread as the strips... Uh, that's how I first came to uh, Dreadnought, those uh, two-line uh, newspaper strips. Um, which form of Dread stories do you prefer? Do you prefer the long-term, uh, sort of the long-arc stories, or do you prefer those kind of, like, short, kind of slap-around-the-faces, as it were? I like it when uh, you have the, the big sweeping sagas, yeah. and I think... Um one of the most satisfying things that it is to explore. For me, I like the cursed earth. I mean, Mick likes uh, Mega City one more than anywhere else, I think. But for me, I love the cursed earth. I've always liked the idea of like something um, developing in an arctic way, like the mutants and this, like the twisted um, denizens and what you get in the cursed earth. I just love the possibility of that. And Damnation Alley, like, which is one of the very first, I think it's probably one of the first sagas, wasn't it, mate? Damnation Alley, in the early days. Was it Damnation? No, Alley? that's it. That it was cursed up. Gasoline. 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 Oh, that's the song. Yes. It's the one where, so like, Dread does the whole 
sweep of uh, you know from crossing to like save a settlement. I can't remember the full story. Yes, exactly. test them. Yeah, and it was just great fun to sort of, like you know follow the developments and have all these different little communities in impinge on what he thinks is the pure the purity of justice you know the anarchic sensibilities of the cursed earth is one of those things that's like i like to explore probably more than mega city one plus the fact i hate drawing all those bloody buildings <laughs> i know it drove mick mad throughout the years as well drawing all those windows yeah well, just a bit was there any of the stories which you were presented with by the writers of dread that you didn't agree with Dredd's decisions in terms of his very uh, bi his very binary choices of uh, dealing out. The no, world. I've never had an opinion. No. You get a script. The first thing I read, read through it, and you think that's going to be a difficult thing to draw. That, and that's, yeah. You know, how am I going to do that? You, you, you haven't got time to. I mean, if. if if you've got two weeks to do it, yeah. you, you haven't got time for it. Well, what was the turnaround for a, a, a Dread story, certainly back in front of the early... About two weeks. Two weeks? It's phenomenal, it's like, you know, the, the turnover in the early days of 2000 AD. Nowadays you have lots of uh, filling art, not filling artists, but regular artists who come and do a story arc and then go away and then another one comes and does a story arc. And that's very satisfying for the artist. The strange thing about the, the, the days when Mick in particular was like, I didn't do Dread that much in those days, but the sort of pressure that Mick and Brian Bolland, well, Brian Bolland didn't do as many pieces as Mick did. Um, so the sort of work that was like happening, the fact that like consistently Mick was turning out this sort of work, you know, week after week, month after month, and obviously Brian came in every now and then with something that probably, probably took him about, like, I don't know, three months to do, whereas Mick was turning stuff around every two or three weeks, you know, so one, he earned a lot more than Brian Bond did, <laughs> but um, also the pressure was just gr a grind, you know. Um, things thankfully have changed a lot now because people appreciate what the artists are trying to do, putting a little extra detail in. I mean, the sort of stuff that Mick was doing when he did get more time, like the Block Wars and stuff like that, and the Angel Gang, which uh, you know, is one of my favourite group of characters, I mean, the amount of work that went into it, you can see that it took a lot longer than just two weeks. Some of the, the block war no, stuff. Two. Still two weeks? Wow. Oh my God, you're mad. <laughs> how, many, how many hours that's a day why, did you work? That's why I quit. I couldn't stand it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I worked a lot with uh, Dave Gibbons, and Dave Gibbons shared a studio with me mm -hmm. in St Albans. They both live in St Albans. And Dave had this like, work in nine to five format. And the number of times he told me he turned up to work at nine and Mick had already been there for two, three hours and he'd leave at five or six and Mick was still there working. And he was never sure if he actually worked through the but night. But I still so. didn't get as much done as Dave. <laughs> <laughs> when it came to the actual putting together of those initial stories, uh, certainly when it comes to the... I, mean, I think we've all heard the stories about um, how the artwork was treated. And indeed the artists were as well. Um, was there a sense of legacy back then um, in terms of this character would has something that can continue in terms of the, the, the artwork? Because, I mean, trying to track down original pages now is pretty much damn near impossible because of the way that they were 
kind of treated with such disdain, certainly by the, uh, the editorial yeah. staff. I know, I don't know if... Oh, I got mine back. You did? did? Yeah. You went in and picked it up? Yeah. yeah. I got queued up around Arsenal football ground with it. Yeah? Yeah. After picking it up? Yeah, because I didn't know I was going to get it, so I, <laughs> I was going to get tickets for a match and a cup match. That's one way of doing it. I tried a policeman, <laughs> I had a policeman there to hold it for me while I went through the tickets. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much of it. Well, Dave used to go, he went to the, um, the warehouse where they used to store the artwork that they used to get in the old days. You know, the Eagles and it's like, you know, Valiant and all those things in the 60s and 70s. And he said he went to this big leaky warehouse close to where the publishers were. And they were like mopping up flood water from the ground. It's like, you know, original artwork from some of the great artists in British comics. You know, it's like Frank Hampson, Frank Bellamy people like that, but I think things were starting to change when we were still like there, and certainly if you go up and threaten the editors give me my artwork back, I'm sure he didn't threaten them, but you know, his demeanor well, was just, quite threatening. decided to give it back. So. Well, you used to have so to sign on, when you got paid in those days, you used to have to sign the back of the cheque, which like said, you, you give all rights to the publishers. Uh, you know, you accept this money and you give all rights to the publishers and completely not be wrong. So things have changed. I mean, Steve McMahon has changed a lot of things yep. when it crossed over. I think it, when it went to um, Fleetway, he like, gave a lot more rights to the artists, but they, the company still owned. You know, we started getting paid royalties and stuff like that, but the company still owned the copyright, you know. Yeah. The idea of you know, dread not being owned by the original creators is quite uh, galling, I should imagine. Mm. Thankfully, I, I'm, I've always been a work for hire guy, so I've never gone in there and created a big character like Dread or you know, Slain or whatever sort of thing. You know? So the difference between like, knowing where you stand when you come in and being paid for the job is quite a relief in a way, whereas obviously the original guys were creating some of the best characters in British comics. Yeah. When it came to the, the landscape of uh, uh, Mega City One and these uh, outlandish characters, do you have any that really do jump out at you as ones that you are personal favourites of, that you enjoy drawing and uh, rendering to page? Was there any, well, any well, inhabitants of Mega City the One? First, that you the really first fatty story I drew, I liked, liked that guy and his wife. Yeah. <coughs> um, not really. They, they just all, each, each time you draw a story, there's something in it that you enjoy mm. more than any other bits in it. But then you get another script, and then that's gone. Because, I mean, I've ne I never read old stuff, ever. So, I mean, pe people show me things today that I haven't looked at <laughs> for 40 years. Yeah. So. Did, I mean, did, was it something that you uh, discussed with the, uh, the, the writers when it came to the way that those stories were being constructed because um, certainly for myself and I think I brought this up at a, um, uh, an NCOM conversation when we were talking about the original satirical edge to Judge Dredd which really kind of flooded my particular boat was that something that kind of really uh, appealed to you when it came to uh, putting the character to page or was the more straightforward story as I well. think in the early days it really was just a case of getting the script and it's like going along with it but I remember doing something with uh, John Wagner and um, Alan Grant and they rang me up so like to ask me what the sort of stuff I would like to do and actually it was the the full colour strip I did for the 1988 annual um, called the, the the last of the bad guys 
and it's like they both rang me up and it's like they had a, it's like a conference phone, they were talking to me and I didn't know which one I was talking to because they were both Scottish. So I couldn't really <laughs> guess to the meat of what we were trying to do. We kept going, is that Alan or is that John? Is that Alan or John? I got really confused. I even forgot my own name. Um, but yeah, towards the end, it's like you, you could start talking to the, the writers to see what we wanted to depict, which is actually quite nice. Yeah. And that's probably why I ended up doing the Cursed Earth storyline, because yeah. I wanted to set it in a desert, basically, because we didn't have all the buildings and all the windows. So. Setting anything in the desert is a really good, uh, good way of approaching a story to actually be able to make some sort of a living. I mean, the problem is, you know, the more you put into something, the less you earn. And it's, it's the cut-off point, trying to decide how fast you turn something around and how much you want to earn for doing that particular job. So, I was going to actually uh, talk to yourself, Mick, about the, so like those initial stories and how collaborative they were. I mean... No, I've, no? I've never spoken to a writer. No? About. No. You spoke to the editors. No, no, the editors no, no. Spoke I've, never, to you. I've never discussed the script with right. writers or editors that I didn't own. Yeah. So I thought, well, well it's none of my business, really. Fair enough. If I don't like it, I'm going to go and do something else. But I mean, luckily, I mean, all, all, I thought all the scripts were really good. So, so I, didn't really, I didn't need to sort of have a tantrum about it. What was the first script that you read that where you went, okay, this is something, yeah, this is something special? Um, well, I never did, because no? I was, like I said, I was too worried about... Just getting the work done. <coughs> well, not getting it done, but doing it well enough that I'm going to give you another one. Yeah. Basically. And by the time I'd got over that, then it was all established anyway, so... It, it was just part of my life then. I sure. didn't think much about it at all. Now, the way you're uni. Um, I mean, it's, impo it's important to me, but I, I didn't imagine that it was important per se. I think in some ways your creativity like drives you, and if you're the creator, it's like the top of the game. It's like, you know, it all comes together on the page, mm. and I think that's definitely what the stuff was happening in the early days. Yeah, I think the. The, the converse of that was though that they never bothered about what I did. What they I mean was they, they'd never say, oh, we don't like the way you're doing that. So they did the script they wanted, they wanted yeah. and I did the art I wanted. When it came to... And it just happened to match. <laughs> yeah. When it came to you, um, like I say, uh, emulating uh, Carlos's style, did you, how, when did you feel that you could start imposing your own uh, so like style on... On the character, um, I don't know. It just sort of withered away. It just kind of worked your way into it. Yeah, it just went away. And I think it didn't because Carlos drew a strip that was in that was it issue four about a monkey, giant ape, and um, that was so beautifully drawn. I thought, oh, I'm wasting my time trying to draw like that. I can't do that. So I think it's pretty pretty much after that. So I think, strictly speaking, I probably did about five or six that would try and be like him. Yeah. And after, but after that, they didn't bother. Because once, once the thing's up and running, they, they need, need the art in by front. Yeah. So if it's publishable, then, then it's all right. Sure. OK. Um, of course, I do want to try and make this a little bit more uh, interactive. If you do have any questions uh, for these two guys, raise your hands or if just shout out. Does anyone have any questions for John or Mick? Um, I was interested in what you said about the fact that you were a Marvel reader and 
Mm. And I've, I've read that, and it appeared to me at the time as well, that the 2000 AD was the first one to actually credit um, artists and writers yeah. in British comics. Yeah. And actually, thinking about it, that's what Marvel were doing, what the American comics yeah. were doing. Yeah. Was there a sense of difference there, you know, in, as opposed to maybe writing, I don't know, Valiant or something before, but suddenly that, that, that there was a gradual change happening? Or were you aware of that? I think, it, I think it was really Pat Mills and um, a few other people at IPC who were fed up with the way they had been doing things. It wasn't um, to do anything external. I think they, they just thought, well, we're all doing all this work and people should know who it is who's doing it. Because, um, I mean, people used to think something like Some people used to think that comics were drawn by machines or something. You know, because, uh, Did it feel better for you? Well, yes, Who was it that introduced the credit cards? Do you know? No. 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 Whoever that person is deserves a it lot of credit. Be, it must have been Pat. Yeah. It was such a big thing for me when I first started working in 2000 AD because you want to be recognised for what you did, good or bad and it was so important to get that credit. And we heard stories about people who we admired, who we had no idea who they were, like Brian Lewis. Brian Lewis is one of the better, well, for me, one of the greatest British artists of the 60s and 70s. And he used to do stuff that was immediately recognisable, but it took you a while to find out who he was, because you never could sign his work. And we hear stories about um, work being taken in by the artist after they'd signed it, and they would white it out in the editorial. They would just delete people's names. So getting the credit and a design credit box was such an important thing for us. And it definitely was a spin-up from the American way of you know, saying these are the artists. And particularly, I think you're right, the Americans did have a box specifically. DC tend to have slight credits page, but Marvel tend to have boxes, which is quite nice. I think they, with the Americans, it was more a case of they just it's nice to have someone they could blame. <laughs> so if something <laughs> didn't work, or if they didn't, if they felt that the character wasn't working, at least they go, "Oh, it's yeah, their fault." Blame, so they, yeah, blame, just... blame them. Um, when it came to um, the long form stories, so... so I was going to tell my Brian Lewis story because I met him. Oh God! At first, two thousand AD Christmas party, yeah. and um, I was so in awe of him, and I was so nervous. I drank so much vodka, I had to be laid out on the editor's desk. <laughs> Well, funnily enough, the first time I actually met Nick was actually at the 2008 Christmas party. Was yeah, it was the very, you can't remember because he was so drunk. <laughs> but it was the I'm very starting first. starting to see a pattern here. It was the very <laughs> first uh, Christmas party that had ever been organised by 2008. And Brian Lewis is the one who instigated it, basically. And it was on the same <laughs> floor of the King's Reach Tower. And it's like we got really, uh, we enjoyed the free booze, you say. But at one point, as far as I remember, I think Mick was trying to find his way out the offices and walked into a cupboard. And then they no, stressed about it. I was, I was I'm sure that was you. Stand. You were talking to? A hat stand. A hat stand? Yeah. In the cupboard? No, no, it was in the office. Well, it was a good night anyway. <laughs> so you can remember talking, even if you didn't talk to Brian Bond, Brian Lewis, you talked to the oh, hat I did stand. Talk to him. I did well, he, this uh, Brian Lewis is just a genius, and he, he said uh, to me one of the few, sen well, not few sensible things, but one of the first things in my career that made complete sense was don't draw anything that's not going to be reproduced. Don't do loads and loads of fiddly lines, it's like disappearing reduction. 
and just do something that's immediately composed the panel exactly the right way it should be composed. He was such a genius as a composition of black and white line illustration. And if you go and look at back issues of Hammer House of Horror, you definitely check out the stuff that Brian Lewis was doing in those days. It was really uh, one of those strange things when I was first getting into the business. I mean, my heroes, like Brian Lewis and um, Frank Bellamy, and I think those two in particular really impressed me. But I found it was quite a scary occupation to come into because they both died in their early 50s. Which I found, oh my God, you know, the lifespan is like an artist is only 20, 25 years. Thankfully, I've gone through it at 35 years and probably 15 years longer than two of those guys. So it was a bit of a depressing time when you see all these geniuses just dying. But thank you, we're both here at the moment. So. I think Slane was uh, yeah. mixed to speak, uh, big yeah. thing. And I, I was like, a, when I came into it, we didn't really, I think they just had a hardcore of characters, so they didn't really need to do any new ones at that stage. And I think it's, I'd left when they started introducing new characters, which is when it was fully painted stuff. So I was doing a lot, I was working for a lot of American companies at that stage. But um, the hardcore just lasted so long and they just seemed to be, they got something so right in the early days. Yeah. No matter what Mick, uh, you know, was like him putting into it, he was a conduit to make something that designs like last, you know, 30, 40 years, you know, so they got it so right in those days. Yeah, yes. very much so. Was it a case of um, kind of like tag teaming with the characters? You sort of you finished the, the uh, run on the, the Dread and then did a, a Slain story, an ABC Warrior story. No, back actually, to I, I, I found Pat up. So I, I heard he was writing a barbarian thing. So I, I, I said, Can I do it? So he said, Yes. So. But, it, it, was that one that you, you actively? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I want lobbied, that. I lobbied for that one. Yeah. So. Did you have any input on that? No. No. <laughs> still <laughs> the script. Still the script. Yeah. Okay. Still the design. Um, any other questions before I jump back in? No. No. Oh. <laughs> Just one. Um, I was reading the Shudsold um, and Cursed Earth again recently. And it struck me, just to what you were saying there about uh, speaking to the writers, when you have a story arc like that, um, I'm noticing the artist, you know, he weren't necessarily drawing three in a row, it would be one, then another, then another, yeah. then another. Did you have an overview of the, you know, did you, because if you're writing one and the week before something would come out, did you know what that last week kind of thing, or did you have an overview no, of the No, story? no, it was, it was chaos. It was chaos, actually. I mean, I had to draw the, um, in, say, the Judge Child series, Brian designed a spaceship. Right. I, it, it was, I was, it was yeah, in the script, I hadn't ever seen it. <laughs> and uh, I found out, what's this spaceship? Has it been in it before? Oh, hang on, I'll have a look. You know, like. <laughs> so it was literally... Oh, yeah, it was like... It was, it was mad in those days because we were leapfrogging each other and I remember the first time I had to do Judge Dredd with his back to the camera. To view it, and I had no idea what the back of his belt looked like because I hadn't seen these guys draw the back of his belt at that stage. 
Well, I, did, I didn't dare make it up in those days. It might have had a strap up his back or something. Mm. So it was really, uh, really exciting and interesting for to be an artist. Because one, he didn't want to get it wrong. Because if he did get it wrong, you wouldn't get another job the next week. So. Yeah, the things a lot of you picked up. I mean, it's like um, Dave Gibbons did a couple of things in Watchmen that he wasn't too happy with, and he got the opportunity to redraw them for the absolute edition, but he decided not to just because there was something there that someone was, would have just jumped on. Why did you change it? Yeah. type of thing. So he thought, no, leave the mistake in and just let people assume I intend to do that. So yeah, the things when every, when you discover solid black and silhouettes, then you your life got a lot easier. I think you didn't have to draw all the details. So when it comes to the evolution of the characters, certainly up to contemporary stories, um, when it comes to the way that. Um, because, like we talked earlier about, uh, you feel that the, the character works best when he is kind of like the, the single, sort of like linchpin to the, the Mega City One world. Do you feel that there is space for evolving of the character in terms of backstory, in terms of characterization? Do you feel that in 2017 there is space to evolve well, the character? Or do, I think the nice thing about Dread is the fact that we have had backstories. We know he's got a, yeah. a brother who's like Uzer, a criminal sort of thing, went off the rails. We know he's a clone, so there's possibilities there. It's like, you know, endlessly changing him if you want. Um, so the possibilities there, but the great thing is, like as Mick said, there's so many interesting people around him. That's one of the most, the nicest things about Dread. He's, he's like that linchpin. He's just like the, he's like the, um, the Vulcan in any Star Trek episode. You know, you can laugh around him, yeah. but he never gets the joke, but everyone else does. And that, to a certain extent, is what Dread's about. You know, he, he, he knows what's going on, but he will never laugh. I've never seen him smile. Have you? You ever did him smiling? Yeah. You did? <laughs> Is it Uncle Lump? Oh, Clump. Uncle Lump. He, he didn't smile at me. Did he? Probably. <laughs> I'm sure I've drawn him smiling. I've never what's, managed it. What's your thoughts on the uh, when Dread is taken out of the, the Mega City One world and brought into other kind of uh, universes, such as the Dread Batman uh, crossover and the. I can't remember the words are coming out of my mouth. Uh, dread, Predator, Aliens, which just baffles the hell out of me. Um, I've never actually read them. It's, it's just a, it's an alien concept to me, no pun intended. Do you, I mean, what's your thoughts on uh, Dread stepping out of his world and uh, into other universes? Well, to me, to me it's like an alternate reality because yeah. he doesn't count. It's non canon. No. I'm really pleased you brought that up. Oh, because uh, funny enough, I'm actually doing a crossover with my character called Razorjack and Judge Dredd, and that's going to be appearing in the magazine early next year. And uh, so, it so is definitely an alternative uh, reality. And when when's this when's this due? <laughs> funny, I'm literally working on this as we speak. So, um, but I'm really excited about the possibilities of this, and it is a dimensional crossover thing, and that's the great thing about science fiction is the fact you actually can set this character anywhere you want. But the bottom line is he won't change. And he always will be, he will come out. I shouldn't tell you the end, but Dread lives. Okay. And where can people find out about the, the other character that uh, Dread will be Well, funny enough, with? if you follow me, one in a big crocodile queue out of my store, 
you'll see the characters there. And I've got a special deal on for the Chichester Festival. Fantastic. So. When it comes to, I mean, I'm, I'm really interested about the fact that you said that um, you managed to get your artwork back uh, to mm. retail. Just out of curiosity, do you work, I mean, what's your process working now? Is it digitally or is it uh, still pen and I, I pen went and digital ink? for a while, but I'm back on the paper now. Yeah, yeah same here. I found that computer, computer, I kept working out processes to do each bit. And all the processes, how it started adding up. And it was taking far longer than just getting a bit of paper. Yes, man. It takes so. longer in the end. And you, you, can't, you can't rush with a computer either. Yeah. You, can't, you can't stay up till midnight. Sort of, <laughs> you know, like, like stuff like that and get someone else to fill your blacks in. Stuff like. The fluidity goes. I yeah. think. And it's like once, as you say, certainly when you start doing processes and if you use the computer to do shortcuts, everyone else will use the same shortcut more or less. So it becomes homogenised. Mm. So the great thing about anything that we do Physically, one, we can sell it, which is a nice bonus. But also the fact is, like, sometimes you have a lucky accident. And with computers, you don't necessarily need to have a lucky accident because you can always go back and go back and go back, which is time-consuming, so you should never do that. But a luxury accident is one of those wonderful things where you go off at a tangent and then suddenly something develops out of nowhere that you didn't expect. And that's what I like most about, like, drawing physically. Cool. Um, I, I, drew a, I drew a story in Manga Studio, he inked it digitally, and I, I must have undone every line, <laughs> every single line, I undid it, and that could be a bit, you know, it's like insane. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm insane. <laughs> I mean, I know people just breeze through it. When um, we look at the history of Dread, and we're talking 40 years of 2000 AD, can you picture Judge Dread in 40 years? And if so, will he still be the same stoic character, do you think? Or will someone just turn around and give him, I don't know, some, take the helmet off and, or just do something with him? Where, where do you see 2000 AD and Dread heading? Well, we always thought it was going to stop in 2000, the year 2000, yeah. but obviously it never did, it didn't change its name. So I actually have no problem with it going on. And I hope a clone of mine is an artist who actually is carrying on drawing Dread and see the 40th, <coughs> 80th anniversary. Yeah. So I personally think there's no reason why he can't carry on. The only problem is a lot of the great characters, I mean, if you look at Superman and you know, Spider-Man and things like that, they've been reinvented in so many different ways. But the whole point, as we've said about Dread, is the fact that everything around him changes. So do, you as think long what, as do you think that's prime, why it doesn't translate to the American market too much. Probably is, yeah. Because the Americans or you know, sorry, foreign markets, they like to see character evolution. They like to see things developing and uh, in terms of a, a character. But with the, that, this, that's the key to dread that he doesn't. And he is that kind of that that tree against the, the flood of shit that comes down from Mega City One and he is the one that just stands there and goes, No, you move. He's an archetype. I think yeah. now he's an archetype. I think he's he started as a as like a, a stereotypical heroic cop type lawgiver, and then he's now become his own archetype, like Superman is and Batman maybe is. Yeah. You know, I think um, we can like live with Dread the way he is because he's now like he is contained perfectly, in my opinion, anyway. Cool. So I've always thought it was Mega City being a real character. 
mm. some of the best stories are the ones that just appears in the last frame of yours, and you've just gone through yeah. six, six, eight pages or something. You certainly, you certainly had those in the in the newspaper strips, yeah, where it was all about the, the, the background. Yeah, yeah. 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 more them, or very, very rarely, actually, just got in the way. Um, but, but that's what I like, is the actual city itself is involved in the yeah. The weirdos and the craziest, the fatties, and all the strange things that I think that shouldn't be in the world. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I think. Um, it's almost like Gotham City in a way. It's like it, it, Gotham is as much a character as Batman, and certainly, you know, Mega City One is. And it's, again, it's become an archetypal name to describe something that's just so big you can't encompass it. You can encompass little neighbourhoods of it, and so many things are going on, so many things can happen. And there's under cities as well. It's just ever growing, which is brilliant. Sure. When it comes to the um, the classic stories. Do you feel they're the ideal place for new readers to come at Judge Dredd? Or do you think Dredd is something that you can come at in 2017 with the, these new creators? Or is, are the classic stories where people should start? Into, obviously you want people to see your, no, your think, artwork. I think he's a character that you can just start reading at any time. Yeah. Because yeah. he's, like you say, he's just, he never changes. So you haven't missed anything. So. And I think that's the brilliant thing about an anthology type of book like 2000 AD. It's short, little sharp vignettes of like the characters in their lives, the future shocks. And it, it's one of the very few anthology titles that carry on going. Mm. You know, I can't think of any other. No. Um, maybe Dark Horse Presents, but that's... Even then, that kind of comes yeah. and goes in 2000 AD. Consistent, yeah. is consistent and certainly in terms of the creative forces and the, the, the people involved they just constantly bring in new talent and celebrate uh, classic talents like yourselves uh, I think we're going to wrap things up with uh, just one more question from the audience if at all oh okay ah the Mega City 1 series indeed yeah which is being developed by uh, Rebellion. Is it? Yeah. So you'll be seeing your designs up there. Well, the thing is, I know that um, is it Carl Urban has been talked to come back. That's brilliant. He's a fan. That's yeah. a great that, thing. Yeah, it was. Yeah. That's the nice thing about like having that sort of, and that's the nice thing about what's happened in 2000 AD. So like we're getting creative fans coming in now. Hmm. I mean, you need that sort of like people who's like trust in what has gone before and build on it rather than trying to change something, you know. I think that's what I was trying to get on to in terms of where Drake could be involved to. The Andy Diggle. We're going to mention Andy Diggle, were you? Not by name, sure. No, you mean? Yeah, that's it. But Wait. one of the editors in the uh, early days before so like Matt Smith became the, in, you know, the, the linchpin editor that he is now, so like, you know, the newer editors tried to change things and put things in a, a way that they felt was like new and fresh. And, they didn't, they just spoiled um, uh, the bait that was perfectly right. You know, Ron's like have a beautiful cake with glistening candles and everything. He had a bit of motor oil, it didn't quite work. So it was a shitty cake. <laughs> Please. Yep. Can I think um, in terms of um, where Dread is going to, so I was actually going to wrap up on the, the, the TV series because it uh, it's, no, no, no. it's an interesting evolution of the character, especially when we were talking about where he could end up and to see uh, your designs and your creation on the small screen, um, I, I can also imagine up on the big screen as well, was quite a thrill. Uh, did, did you see the Dread film, and in terms of that, what did you feel 
uh, about that. Did you? No? No, I didn't, didn't no? like it. Didn't like it? The second one. The second one? No, I didn't like that. Oh, okay. I really enjoyed the second one. And I think they changed the... The, the, the helmet is a state, the same, but yeah. everything more or less changes, I think it's quite healthy. I mean, there's some functional select things sticking out, but the prime red is the one that we yeah. see in the, the depicted in the graphic novels, which is fine. And I just like, um, I'm quite happy about seeing characters that I've worked on appear on the big screen, yeah. because it gives a whole new audience, and then that brings them into the comic. Mm. The thing is, because I'm working on mixed designs, I have no propriety yeah. sensibility about it, so it doesn't really bother me as it might bother the creators. Oh, no, I, didn't, I, didn't, I like the way it looked. It's yeah. Good, it's, it's a very good film. All right. That's fair enough. Because you like the raid instead. <laughs> the one that came out the year yeah, before. The, 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 yeah, if, you, if you're going to pick between the two. I think the raid is... Uh, yeah, I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I suspect it's one. Brilliant stuff. Ladies and gents, I think it's safe to say we all look forward to seeing where Judge Dredd ends up in another 40 years' time. And um, hopefully uh, we will still have people looking back with fond memories of the artwork, the incredible artwork that these two have come together. Ladies and gents, a round of applause, please. Chaps are going to head down to their tables if you want to uh, say hi and uh, speak to them on a more intimate basis or catch them as they're heading to the toilet. I don't know. Your call. Thank you very much indeed.